This is Duray Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 159. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What a do BTM tribe. Welcome to this brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. And on today's episode, we're getting into your business and we're talking all about vertical integration. This may be a term that you're familiar with. This may be a term that you've never heard of before. This may be a term that you've misconstrued for a while. But today we are going to set the record straight and see if we can possibly create another arm of your business, another revenue stream, something that's going to make your business more profitable. That's going to make your business more efficient. That's going to give you greater control of your business and ultimately lead to your lifestyle design. So if you don't yet know what vertical integration is, it is just simply the gain of ownership of your distributors or the gain of ownership of your suppliers. So just think about the top down approach or the bottom up approach. And when you're able to execute one of these transactions successfully, again, the benefits are that you gain greater control of your business. Imagine being able to buy your supplier And now you supply yourself. Imagine being able to open up an arm of your business because you already have the tools and resources to make that arm profitable. So I'll give you guys a quick example. Imagine you're a pig farmer and ultimately your farming business is how you provide for yourself and your family. But you want to make more money. You want to do a little bit more than just provide for yourself and your family. So you take a look at the pigs and you're like, hmm. Maybe I should go open up a restaurant and maybe that restaurant takes off and does really, really well. And you take those profits and you're like, okay, maybe I want to buy out the company that supplies my pig's food. So an example of gaining ownership of your distributors is, again, opening up that restaurant. And an example of gaining ownership of your supplier is purchasing your pig's food supply company. Another example is Starbucks. Starbucks is not just a shop that sells coffee. Starbucks has an arm of its company that grows its own beans. And that's vertical integration, again, upwards. But Starbucks also has vertical integration downwards because you can go and buy coffee, not made, not hot in a cup at Starbucks, but you can go in your grocery aisle and and buy Starbucks coffee straight off of the shelf. 
So this is vertical integration in a nutshell. Now you're just like, Dore, why is this important to me? How does this help me in my business? I'm a multifamily investor. I'm a single family flipper. I'm a property manager. I'm a real estate agent. How can this help me in my business? So on today's show, I brought on Mr. Colin Duthith. And Colin is a real estate entrepreneur who's used strategic business partnerships and vertical integration to continue to build out his business. So Colin started off as an investor and over time, because he noticed what his company was good at, he noticed that he was able to manage his units efficiently and that he had a system so that every time he acquired new units, the property management portion of his business would immediately step in and do a stellar job. So then one day he thought, maybe I should buy a property management company. I'm really good at this. Or maybe I should create my own property management company, or maybe I should extend my property management services to other real estate investors. So this was the beginning of some of his his early thought processes as he began to start about strategic business building and he began to think about vertical integration. Today, Colin has a few multi-million dollar companies and all of which have stemmed from his last business. I got some plans for some vertical integration myself in a few of my businesses. And um, it's something that I've been working on a lot as of late. And that's partly why I've been a little bit behind schedule with some of these episodes lately, which, as you guys already know, that is not like us. So what I've decided to do today is I've decided to take all of our future interviews, review the edits, produce the shows and cue the shows up so that for the next two months, All of the episodes that are going to come out will already have been queued up as of today. So you can be rest assured that you'll get at least one episode every single week as usual. And I love batching things up and queuing it up. This gives me time here at the end of Q2 to look at how far I've come in 2020. To look at how close or how far I am from my goals and what type of actions I've done to get where I am now. And if those exact actions, or maybe if 25% more, 25% less of those actions need to be exhibited over the next six months to get to my goal. So if my goal is like to make, let's just say $100,000 this year in product sales in one of my online businesses, but currently it's at 35 grand. And I know that I know all the effort and energy I've been putting into that business to get it to 35 grand. And I got six months left to add $65,000 to the top line. Well, I'm going to look at all of my actions, what I've been doing for the past six months, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what's gotten me the best results. And it may be as simple as just doing doing a little bit more work or maybe just focusing my attention on the right things. So maybe I need to put in 25% more effort or maybe I need to hire an extra virtual assistant or maybe I need to add an additional product. But just being able to look at my metrics halfway through the year. And being able to plan for the second half of the year is going to be insanely valuable to my business. So I'm in the lab working on a ton of new projects for my students and my clients, for you guys, listeners of the Before the Millions podcast, and just planning out the rest of the year, taking advantage of the current economic opportunity in real estate and the current economic opportunity in online business, which almost every day is like Black Friday. It's been like that for the past three months. Um, but also doing what I can in terms of social justice reform and 
and becoming more educated so that I could be a part of the solution as opposed to a part of the problem. Um, so with that being said, there's a lot going on and I'm excited for the summer. I'm excited for this fall. The motivated seller method is coming back out for the second time ever. It'll be out this fall of 2020. So there's going to be a lot more updates on that front. There's going to be a, a challenge or so that uh, we're getting ready to do here this summer. Uh, and a few more things that I definitely want to let out of the bag, but I'm just going to hold off for a few more episodes uh, while we get things underway. But again, I'm working hard for you guys and um, we're getting all our episodes queued up. And there's so many fantastic guests that are coming on the show. There's so many fantastic solo episodes that I've actually already recorded that I cannot wait for you guys to hear. So with that being said, just make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, the rest of 2020, we're going to take it by storm. DeRay's Tip of the Week. Okay, so this week's tip is to talk to your CPA and confirm with your CPA, because I am not a licensed CPA, confirm with your CPA that you can and should write off your hobbies. This is something that the rich have been doing since the beginning of time. So here's a quick example of how you can write off your hobbies. If you are a soccer mom, and you take your kids to soccer practice. You have to buy their soccer equipment and you have to buy their lunch and you have to spend time there. And this applies to you if you're not the mom, if you're the actual soccer player and you buy equipment and you feed yourself and all this good stuff, right? But anyways, back to the soccer moms, because what you can do is you can start a blog. And before you say to write, I hate writing. This is, this is just an example. There are, very, there are so many other things that you can do so that you can write off your hobbies. But you can start a blog about your experience as a soccer mom. You can interview some other soccer moms, put their experiences on there. You could interview the coaches. You can uh, take pictures at the games and put them up. And you can have this entire soccer mom blog, this free blog, that maybe you put a link to Amazon with some of the equipment that you use or that your son uses. Or maybe you create an affiliate relationship with a soccer company. Or maybe you create an affiliate relationship with the YMCA. I don't know. But there are so many ways that you can write off your hobbies um, because you have a business. And the business for a few short amount of years doesn't even need to be making money. And of course, after a while, you can't just continue to run a business that doesn't make any money. And that's why I suggested some of those income streams. But at the very least, it'll be very easy to run a business that's break even that allows you to write off your hobbies. Luckily for me, my hobby is traveling. And I always try to make sure that there is a conference, a business conference related to my industry wherever I'm going. So the trick is to make sure, and it's not really a trick, it's just business really, but to make sure that I buy my ticket and I have all intent, and I actually do attend the conference when I get to my travel location. And I make sure that I spend a certain amount of time on my business at my travel location. And I also document everything. I take notes and I take pictures. As long as you fall in certain parameters, the entire trip can be classified as a business trip. And many of your itemized expenses can be tax deductible. So by no means do I want to get into the weeds of this. I mean, there's so much fascinating tax and accounting information that will help your business go to the next level. My biggest tip is if you don't already have a tax accountant, is to connect with one ASAP and 
you may feel as though you, you're not ready to pay them. And I understand that. But at the same time, think about it as an investment in yourself and your business and how much money paying them would in effect earn you every single month, every single year for the rest of your life. And this may be something that they may implement once and charge you 200 bucks for. Meanwhile, you're saving $2,000 or $20,000 a year. And now your feature presentation. So real estate investor would be the, the first hat that I have on uh, and real estate owner. The second hat would be the uh, owner of a property management company. And then the, uh, the third hat would be co-owner of a construction company. That's, that's, those are the professional hats that I have on, right? And I'm a, a father, a husband, a follower of Christ. So, um, you know, all those different hats. I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, we're going to get into how you can balance all of this and reach your pinnacles of success here shortly. But again, let's go ahead and take it back into the time machine. Let's figure out before Colin became a father, before uh, Colin became a husband, before Colin uh, became a real estate investor, what were you doing? Were you a typical nine to five, certain tie, going to work and be bored all day employee? Yeah, yeah, no shirt, no shirt and tie, uh, but definitely the rest of it. So, uh, you know, I was raised in a middle upper class family in the suburbs of Kansas City, and I had very successful parents, both in the corporate world. Father was an attorney, mother was in marketing, and you know, they very much impressed the college route on me. So I went to college and did two uh, undergrad engineering degrees, and then I got my master's in engineering management. And that kind of led me into the corporate world, um, you know, at the age of 22, I guess. Um, you know, I did five years in undergrad and then did my master's at night. I guess in your eyes, what was the goal at the, at the time? What was, what was the point of life? Like, what were you aiming to achieve? Was it just like, oh, like corporate life is like, you know, dad did this. So, hey, I'm going to, you know, start a family by the time I'm 27. I'm going to get married. I'm going <laughs> to get the gold watch. Like, what, what was your mindset? I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. I knew that, you know, my dad was a partner in, in his law firm, one of the founders. So I was like, well, uh, I didn't really know where I was going to be. I, I ended up going the construction route. Uh, for engineering. So I was project manager for construction companies. Um, but I, I didn't really know what the goal was other than to go with the, uh, you know, fill your 401k bank on compounding interest, you know, retire it whenever you're supposed to retire and, you know, have all the, have all the money then, and then, you know, have a good corporate job that's paying hundred to 150,000 a year. I guess that was kind of the goal when I was getting out of college. Yeah. And, and what became wrong with that for you? Sounds like at some point you were just like, wait, I don't, I don't like this. Yeah. So I was in the corporate world for seven years and I had four different jobs in those seven years. Some of them voluntary change, some of them not. Um, but yeah, you know, it didn't take me too long. My first job was with the uh, department of transportation uh, with Kansas. And I really just, the government just sucked the life out of me and then just sitting in the office and I've always been a pretty active person. Um, you know, a lot of ideas and I played, played football in high school and college. And then, you know, I grew up in kind of a rural setting and was just always active and outdoors and hunting. So like getting stuck in the cubicle all day really seemed to drain the, drain the life and fun out of it for me. Um, and then just the whole corporate structure just started to wear on me with having to, you know, the bosses and micromanagement and, 
you know, sometimes being penalized for trying to think outside the box or focus on customer service, et cetera, et cetera. Some of those just really um, didn't click for me always. Do you think that the way your mind works, was it was always designed to think outside of the box? Like, do you think that, you know, you had common run-ins with, you know, I guess superiors or whatever the case may be because you had this outside of the box thinking and it, 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 it was something that was not agreeable, I guess, in the workplace. As I've learned more about myself, uh, if we go with a little maybe a bit of an EOS talk, uh, there's the visionary and the integrator. Discover them definitely a visionary. I'm a big picture guy. And for an engineer, that can be a little bit weird, right? Engineers are supposed to be introverts that just want to execute, execute. Uh, I'm an, a mildly extroverted <laughs> visionary engineer. So really didn't fit the mold unless it was sort of the entrepreneurial route. Yeah, and um, I think I can relate in that sense. I was the, I was kind of the same person, but in the accounting world, right? Mm-hmm. Firm, and I was the, the out-of-the-box accountant. I wasn't the typical accountant. And it was it was very evident early on. I only lasted in, in corporate for about three years. And similar to you, I got laid off a few times. And it was just like, dude, this, this, something, something, there's a disconnect here. And this is not... This yeah. Is not um, did you think that you were the problem? Did you think that you needed to build your own business or find your own business or buy your own business? Or did you think you just need to go find another farm? Like what, what led you to your next step? Well, I mean, a couple of times I thought it was the, the, the company that I was at, right? Oh, I'm just not a good fit here. You know, the DOT or, you know, I got recruited away one time by, by a headhunter. Uh, but, you know, during those whole things, I was always trying another little side hustle, right? Whether it's, Direct sales, multi-level marketing. Um, I live out in the country now. So actually for a couple of years while I was working um, in my last job, I started doing farmer's markets because I love love animals, love being outside. So I was raising animals, you know, scratching my entrepreneurial itch that way, uh, making a few dollars on the side um, with the farmer's market, kind of trying to build that up as my exit plan from corporate America. So, but, so, there, so, so in your mind, you knew that there was corporate America wasn't forever. That was always in your mind. Yeah, that yeah. After being out of college about three years, that's when it started to click into my mind, right? So the last four years, I was kind of like looking for an out at that point, or thinking about building a business or buying something that would allow me to get out of the corporate world. So yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be in it forever once I reached a certain point in my career. Yeah. So why not go in on any of the entrepreneurial ventures that you had in mind or that you actually started in? It sounds like you were actually uh, earning revenue from. Why not go all in on any of those? Well, I was pretty well all in on the farming one. And then when I, when I got uh, fired from my last corporate job, um, at that same time, I was also closing on my first piece of real estate. And I was doing both of those for a while, for probably about six months until real estate really started taking off. And I started seeing the time investment versus the income on the two and uh, then had to make a decision on which one I wanted to pursue fully. And that was kind of what made me pull back from the from the farming side of things and make it more of a, more of a hobby and something just for friends and family, you know, have a few animals out there instead of, you know, being outside working for four hours a day and then sitting and sweating at farmer's markets and stuff like that. I kind of had to make the decision there, which one was going to take priority. In those last days, <laughs> sounds very cryptic. Um, but in those last days at work, were you, you, it sounds like you had already started pursuing real estate. Right. And I just want to know what was your real estate strategy at the time and what where were you as far as your comfort level 
when you were fired? Did you already have like a stream of passive income or were you already making substantial money from one of your two businesses? Like financially, where were you and what strategy were you pursuing in early stage? Yeah, so where I was was we were making a small income off the farm, nothing really to live on. We had always knew, you know, after we hit that certain point where we knew that I was trying to exit, we had always been keeping our expenses very low, right? So not owing money on our vehicles, uh, very low house payment. And that was, that was it, right? So, and my wife was still working so that if, when I made that jump, we were already going to be comfortable. Um, so it didn't really hit us too bad. You know, we were, we'd always lived below, well below our means so that when that hit happened and then we became more dependent on my wife that we weren't, um, we weren't devastated by that. And, you know, within a month of getting let go, I closed on my first piece of real estate and started working on improving that. And, you know, I was doing everything, you know, I was turning wrenches, I was painting, I was doing all the management, all the maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, this was the flip. This was the flip. You had no, it, wasn't, it wasn't a flip. It was a value add uh, seven unit apartment building. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So you still have you still have this property in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how how did you how did you like where where did the real estate education come in? Like, how did you go uh, from employee to oh, let me get a seven unit value add? Yeah, so probably the last year I was in the corporate world, I started reading a bunch about real estate. Uh, you know, I you know the gateway drug to real estate, rich dad, poor dad, right? Like that was that was the gateway drug, and then. Um, I always do a, had done a lot of driving for my construction related jobs. So I was a big audible fiend. So I just got on audible and if I go work out, if I was actually working in the field with the animals, I'd put in headphones and just, you know, just absorb it all through audible or podcasts and just start soaking in all the real estate stuff. Like you numbers based people, I can do analysis and it's very objective on the paper, good or bad. This one came across as good. And I was like, well, let's do it. Might as well. I've been thinking about it. You know, sometimes you just got to gotta pull the trigger. And this was in 2017? hmm So 2017, you, you, you go all in on real estate. And again, this is the very first business. This is, this is you as a real estate investor, mm-hmm. right? I, I suspect that you do a, quite a few more deals. But I want to skip to the very next business because I, I kind of want to just again, explore your mind and see what your process is and kind of the goals that you're trying to attain. Yeah. So about two years in, you know, I start thinking, man, I could really use a hand, right? As I start acquiring more properties and get some partners and we get up to about 70 doors that we own. Like, man, so, you know, by this time I had, you know, investigated some property management software. I'd implemented Buildium as my property management software internally. And, um, once we started, you know, going down that route, I was like, man, I'd really, you know, property management company, maybe I should do that. I've already, I've already got the systems in place. And as I'm networking I'm talking with a buddy and he goes, Hey, you know, this place I used to work, I think he's interested in possibly selling his company. So I start talking with him. We're in discussions for a couple months. We're getting really close to getting the contract signed that would put us in the due diligence period. You know, we're supposed to sign it on Friday. And then I get radio silence the whole week leading up to Friday. And then Thursday, you know, he's like, I just don't think that this is going to be the best option. And just kind of cuts the deal right there. 
Um, which, you know, that hurt, that was going to be a 400 unit property management company. Uh, and you know, we we're going to be able to bring our units right in give it a big boom and you know, systems, everything was already in place. <clears throat> it was like, well, I still wanted to do this. And now I had a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. So I went ahead and started You've never bought or sold a business before in your life before this. No, no. I how, did you, what was, how did you value the business? Well, you know, again, just research. Uh, I have, uh, you know, in my back pocket, my mother-in-law is a CPA. And so working with her and, you know, getting an opportunity to sit down with some of her partners at her firm that specialize more in mergers and acquisitions and, you know, go through the books, do some valuations, look at the EBITDA, do some multiples, research what the multiples should be for that industry, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts that share some information on just property management specifics, property management businesses, kind of go from there. Wow. So, so you, you jumped full, full force into real estate. Then you jumped full force into, into wanting to buy your own business. And then it, it, it kind of, you know, it doesn't fall through. Mm -hmm. So then what you decide to build it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then we decided to start to build it ourselves. Um, got a designated broker to be our to a real estate broker to be our designated broker for the company, which you have to have in the state of Missouri. And then I just start networking and we've added 200 units in. Wait, what do you mean networking? What do you mean? Like, what, like, what does that, what, what does that look like? <laughs> uh, that looks like uh, going and. Legislation or talking to business owners? Like, what, like yeah. So, you know, just, just talking in the real estate community. I mean, Kansas city, you know, it's a, it's a big city, but it's not that big of a city at the end of the day being 2 million people. I mean, it doesn't take, take much to start finding your niche and the niche of people. And then, you know, trying to network with the, the, the cream of the crop and inadvertently, you know, just who's, who's the best and, you know, start walking in those circles. People are like, Oh, well, you want to do this? We'll make this introduction. And then, you know, you start working with some people and like, okay, I really like the way you're, you're managing your properties. Well, I'm going to start referring you all my business. Right. So now I've got a couple of really great real estate agents that yes, I'm, I'm you're managing your 70 units efficiently. Correct. Yeah, yeah, because well, I was managing mine, and then as we start bringing on other people, it's like, oh, I like the way you're executing, you know, and invest. He would he would bring me an investor, right, or someone would bring me an investor, kind of like as a test, like, okay, let's see how you do, and then that investor comes back and gives really good compliments. Hey, Colin's doing a really good job, you know, that word of mouth referral, and so then it just starts going that way. But I, during that during I, that time, also, I'm trying to bring value to them, right? So I'm building up a list through some referrals, some you know, being out on bigger pockets or something like that. I'm big. I am helping to build my business by doing really good analysis on rental properties and then distributing them to potential investors. Like, Hey, you want this property? Here's my analysis on it. I think it's going to be a 12% cash on cash return. Here's a 10 year performer. I think you can do a refight year five and get all your capital back. They say, great. Thanks for bringing this. They go and buy it. And then I get the management on it. How does this income differ from your investment income? Like, why not? And I, I, I kind of know where, where, where you're going to go with this, so I'm excited to hear the answer. But why not just go all in on your portfolio and focus all your time and attention there and continue to build that out? Why, mm -hmm. why, why start this, this, this quote unquote side business? And, and is this income different? Like, does it, is it, is it, I mean, what's the purpose of it? Yeah. So they are different. First of all, some of my portfolio wasn't at the time, wasn't performing as good as it needed to not for lack of attention and 
we could go into a whole nother podcast and, I, and I've done some other ones before just discussing a couple of mistakes I made early on, right? That taught me that I learned from, right? So I wasn't getting enough income off of just my investments. And then I was out of capital to start, you know, buying more stuff. So unless I want to start having really par- partner heavy or become a syndicator, at this time, I didn't know what syndication was, right? So this was all new to me. So I'm like, well, how else can I capitalize on the skills and the systems that I have in place? And so I just, I went with what was available to me, which was, I've got a property management software already. Let's see how I can maximize this. And halfway, the goal was, I'm just going to get enough properties that pays my property manager's salary so that I can get my properties managed for free. Wow. You know, part, part of that was the goal, but we've way surpassed that. Um, you know, and then, then the construction company came along as well. Um, before, before we get to that, I mean, just just sitting here for a moment, Colin, I'm just like, how how many people can have a relatable story to this? And especially during these times, like, it, I mean, this, this 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 analogy goes far beyond real estate. I mean, you you are operating, you know, doing your work, doing what you do, doing again what everybody out here is doing to to you know feed their family, and you needed to get innovative and you look within yourself you found skills that you are already good at you found things that you were already doing you found a way to capitalize on that and you created a whole new stream of income Mm -hmm. again how many times like colin i mean just just so many people have these skills like as as engineers as accountants as, as, as doctors as i mean like so many transferable skills like i i walked uh Last year, I walked my mastermind through an exercise, and I was like, "Hey, let's write down all of our transferable skills and see see how many businesses and income streams we can come up with." And it was so eye opening, so fascinating to see, like, "Wow, like we're so talented. We have there, there's so much in the in the tank." And again, you started realizing your, your skills and your talents, and you were like, "Hey, I can solve a problem. People will pay me to solve their problem. Mm-hmm. I know how to solve that problem. Start this new business." So that was the second. Why did you start a third business college? <laughs> <laughs> well, the construction company may have officially predated the uh, property management company. As I started working with some of these investors out of state trying to find them properties, some were like, well, well, who will rehab them? And I already had a couple of guys working on my property. And I was like, well, I guess I could go ahead and rehab these properties for you. Um, you know, but the construction company floundered for quite a while, wasn't making a whole lot of money. I wasn't scared to get into construction though because of my background, right? I've done construction when I was in high school. I did some in college. I did construction project management as, as a professional. So I wasn't scared of that. Realizing though that probably why I got fired the last time because I wasn't good at project management is why my first number of projects failed. And, you know, realizing, having the self-awareness, be like, okay, A, my property management company is growing so much. I can't give my attention to both and B I'm not performing as, as well as I could or should be on the project management side. So I brought in a partner, another fellow engineer, fellow project manager that I actually went to college with, played football with. Um, and I was like, listen, I have this amazing sales funnel, right? I've got all of these opportunities coming in. Plus we've got all this maintenance that we can do on my existing properties and we're getting a lot of value add projects with these investors that are coming into town. I was like, why don't you take over operations? I'll just focus on sales. You do everything operationally on a construction company and give away majority of my equity to him, right? Here, let's take it. 
we actually shut down the old construction company, started a new one, gave him majority of the equity. Because I was like, listen, you do operations. You do it better than I do. You do project management better than I do. Let me focus on growing the property management company. Since they're tied together, it will inadvertently grow the construction company. But I can sell the property management company better because we can then be a single point of contact, Atlas Property Management, Atlas Construction, we're a single point of contact for investors that want to rehab and then, you know, lease their properties. So it's vertical integration <laughs> at the end of the day. I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, I hope you understood what Colin just kind of walked us through succinctly. And it's, it's a beautiful process. I think that it's absolutely amazing. And so currently that that's the focus is the property management business and how you can grow that. Correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Because every time we had a door under management, that adds another door that we get to do maintenance on. Every time we get a project that we're going to rehab, that's another door that we get a lease. So it feeds it's they they each they each feed each other. It's it's I don't know, they can use all these key, you know, it's a circle, it's symbiosis, you know, whatever you want to say, but they they feed each other at the end of the day. Um, you know, and just knowing and having that vision, it kind of dawned on me one day. I was like, wow, what if we just did this? And uh, sometimes I'm not uh, not scared enough to tell myself no, I guess. <laughs> like, let's how do often, it. How often do those moments happen? How often do those moments occur, those epiphanies, those, and, and do you know off the bat, like, hey, this idea is something that's going to work immediately, or do you have to see it in action? Like, how, you know, when it comes to your perception of things, like, how does that work? Um, you know, I, I can't say I have these epiphanies all the time, but occasionally, you know, I'll step back, and it took me, you know, um, six months as I was working down the path with, the rehab and the property management to kind of then, you know, focus in and, and say, okay, well, what's my vision, right? We stopped doing flips for investors, right? Flips aren't benefiting us at all, right? They're not, we need to focus on what these two feed each other on. And so we just kind of narrowed it down to that mm-hmm. and started making that our, our, uh, well, let's see another, another quote from some books. And we made that our unique selling proposition, right? We made that what makes us different. You know, I assume that you have you have team members that you now delegate a lot of this to at this point, right? Yeah, I delegate. Um, so we've got two property managers uh, in house, and so you know they obviously deal with the tenants day to day. They've got assigned properties slash owners that they end up interacting with, and we've got a bookkeeper slash office admin that helps with bills and all that sort of stuff. And then we have a leasing agent. So she does all of our showings, background checks and leases, and then a maintenance coordinator who's answering the phone and and running maintenance calls in addition to that as well and scheduling all the maintenance. Two-fold question. When it comes to leases and then when it comes to in-place rents. Mm -hmm. Over the past few months, how have you guys been handling the whole COVID crisis and in place rents from current tenants and how have you guys been handling handling uh, showings and new leases? Mm-hmm. So Kansas City never really blew up, you know, like some of the other parts did. So uh, obviously we shut down, everybody shut down, shelter in place, all that jazz. We were still in the office five days a week because we're essential. You know, people need air conditioning, people need sewer lines fixed, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't really slow down. Rent collection, I would say 5% to 10% delinquency because of COVID. Uh, really hard for us to to get an answer on that when everybody asked me because we've been brought in and started kind of cutting our niche as um, repositioning properties. So we get brought in on properties that are performing poorly with bad tenants that weren't paying before COVID. 
right? And we were sending them all to get evicted before COVID and that all just got mm-hmm. shut down. So that really was like, well, yeah, our collections are really high because they were high, you know, because we had poor tenants before that nothing's changed there. There's still poor tenants in there. But showings, you know, we've been, uh, our leasing agent, she's been out there every day showing. Uh, she was wearing a mask and hand sanitizer and limiting the number of people, you know, within a unit to 10 if, or, if you know, if she's kind of doing an open house situation. So, but yeah, I mean, we've, realistically though, we've probably had um, 15 tenants or so that have been like, really, I'm COVID effective. You know, and we work on putting them on payment plans or whatever we can do there. So it's not too bad at all, especially in your you're making the one. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, Colin, now you've started amongst other businesses, and I I'm, I'm happy that you've been able to find this symbiosis. But I can imagine that as an entrepreneur, you often have a ton of thoughts about other businesses and other opportunities, and even opportunities in the businesses you already have. I mean. This is a constant struggle for me personally. Mm-hmm. In the past five years, what have you become better at saying? What kind of distractions and things of that nature? Um, invitations? Are you are you are you now are you now like more prone to saying no? Yeah, that's it's a learned skill, as you know, right? Um, I have uh, not not entirely gotten better at that, but really kind of figure out what our niche is. Uh, you know, for instance, I had a phone call with a potential investor and why they were looking to buy 10 to 20 units, which I'm, I'm never going to say no to that additional revenue. I don't want to say no. They were asking for so many special things that it makes our systems ineffective or useless. And systemization is where we, you know, are able to differentiate ourselves or gain efficiencies so that we can take on more units. So, you know, learning to say no to customers that want something outside of what's our usual is is one thing that we need to learn um you know yeah i'm always having those uh entrepreneurial seizures like oh my gosh what if we what if we just did this like oh i could start this you know oh look at this you know shiny object syndrome right oh look at this over there you know i'm with one of my buddies and we're like earlier this year like "Ah, we really dug in like should we buy this carpet cleaning business right like oh man i've got all these units we could add this volume to it and he's in the trucking and he has a trucking company like well like we think this might be a good fit but ended up we passed on it and we were glad that we passed on it. Um, but right now, you know, we're looking like maybe, you know, me and my partner in a construction company, we're like, let's, uh, we're looking to buy an HVAC company, frankly, you know, by the end of this year, we want to buy one of those. But that one, again, is is very synergistic with where, where we're at right now, right? If we're going to be, our goal is 500 doors by the end of this year, well, we do a spring maintenance call and a, fa- a, uh, a fall maintenance service on the HVAC, you know, heat and cool. Well, okay, we can easily add a thousand service calls a year just just for just for service, let alone everything that breaks on them and replacements. So we're like, that's one that we could really bring value to, and then we don't have to wait for somebody else. We just we have control over. We can hire two or three more people and just plug them right in and be like, you're just on property management stuff. I love that so much. Um, why do you? Not even why do you, but. Do you wait for an opportunity like that to fall in your lap? Like, do, does you, do you catch wind of a maintenance company that's, that's about to sell? Or are you actively in the market looking for maintenance companies to buy? And if it's the latter, where are you looking for these companies? Yeah. Now, it's so, not a maintenance company, but I'm at HVAC company. Yeah, HVAC. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have been having discussions with mergers and acquisitions firms, right? Like, just putting it on your radar, starting to, you know, drop some hints in some people's ears. 
you know, the also me acquiring another uh, acquiring a property management company additionally is still on the radar, you know, constantly dropping that bug out there. Other people in the industry, hey, if you hear this, just, just let me know, you know, I could be interested in that, you know, because we're reaching the age where all the baby boomers are wanting to retire. So there's a lot of businesses. I heard of one where they had 120 doors under management and they just kind of gave away all their contracts, wow. you know. And I'm like, I would have, I would have bought those contracts from you. Yeah, you have to, you have to. Um, so yeah, you know, but the mergers and acquisition firms, some of them want a, a chunk of change up front, whether it's a couple thousand dollars up front and then, you know, a thousand dollar a month retainer or, you know, another one's 5,000 up front and that, you know, then they put all the advertising together and that just comes off the purchase price at the end. Plus then they've got a big fee. So you know, I'm starting to explore that a little bit more. Um, we'll just kind of see how that all shakes out, really. Um, you know, if we could find one that's, that's quote, off market, uh, that where we don't have to bring in and pay that couple percent for an M&A firm, yeah. you know, if you're to buy a, a million dollar HVAC company, you're going to pay $100,000 for mergers and acquisitions on top of your million dollar purchase. So, you know. That's absolutely insane. Yep. That's a chunk. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big chunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they do bring a lot of value in advertising, vetting, verifying pricing, financing, et cetera. So they do bring their value to making that happen. Because even if I can then finance in that, their fee, and I'm still making an additional X amount per year off of the company, and then we can additionally boost their business by 10 to 20% by bringing in our 500 doors, then we just had a big win. That's awesome. Um, and I guess typically, like if you get in contact with a M&A firm and you tell them what you're looking for, do they immediately like give you back a ton of results within like weeks or does this process take months or years? How does it, how does it work? Um, you know, most of them say that, that you can have something within six to nine months. You know, we haven't, since we haven't earnestly engaged, we haven't been integrated into their systems. Gotcha. But most of them say, you know, we can have something identified within 90 to 120 days. Yeah. I'm not an expert at any of this by any means, but I, I do follow a group of guys who uh, who run a company called Empire Flippers. Okay. And, um, they're, uh, they're, they're more so uh, buyers and sellers. They're the middlemen for buyers and sellers of online businesses. And um, okay. a lot of these online businesses sell physical products such as H HVAC units and things of that nature. Um Guys, I don't know if you guys want to check that out, empireflippers.com, but definitely, Colin, if you want to check check them out. And, yeah, absolutely. Give the owners a shout. I think uh, if it's taking six to nine months for M&As, I'm pretty sure they can, they can, um, they can find companies um, in mm -hmm. that time frame as well, if not faster. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Oof. Favorite book, uh, well, number one is going to be the Bible for me, but number two, uh, yeah, Atlas Shrugged, man, that one just, that one really hit me hard when I read that. It's entirely too long. It's a 54-hour audible book. <laughs> I think I, I think I, I think I looked it up one day, like recently, maybe like three, four months ago, because I wanted to read it, and I, and I looked at the, how long it was on audible. And I was like, Oh, thank you. But no, thank you. <laughs> no, it's worth it. it's worth it. If you read, and the first time I read it was by paper. It's like 1200 pages. I read it when I was like working my government job at KDOT. And I was like, okay, this is, that was like, it's ironic that I'm reading this book and it's all kind of anti-government, but, um, but yeah, no, that one, that was a big paradigm shift about just bringing value to the market. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Ooh, 
Everlance mileage tracking app. That's a new one. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not app heavy guy. I mean, I've got an iPhone, all that, but you know, we use G suite for everything. So that could be one of them. I mean, everything we do is Gmail cloud based, which is really nice. Um, cause we can all share stuff real easy. We can work remote, right? I wanted to be remote from the very beginning. I, I didn't want, I mean, we do have an office, but I wanted to be able to travel and work. Um, long-term would be kind of the goal. So that's why we went, you know, everything is web-based. Um, but yeah, I'd say Everlance is great. And we just started with Monday.com, the project management software, um, to make our transition from move out, rehab, releasing process smoother and building all those steps in between so that the communication goes better. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I don't have to get time off approval from my boss. Well, I have less vacation than I did technically uh, at the other in my other jobs. Uh, I know that that's a short-term problem right now. And we've been going through this hyperbolic growth phase that you know I've got to give a lot of attention to that. Um, you know, if I want to take off one afternoon and go do whatever, if I want to have a long lunch with my wife, if I want to go out of town for a week, I don't, I don't have to get approval. I just have to delegate. I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? I think the good answer is my wife. Uh, she supported all these visions and um, entrepreneurial seizures and some missteps along the way. And she, uh, you know, she, she's been a huge, a huge support for me and, you know, never doubted me and said, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much growth we're having. Like, this is amazing. She's like, I knew you would do good. I knew you would. You just, <laughs> you had to stick with it and stay focused. <laughs> That's absolutely awesome. I love it. Last but not least. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Potentially a couple different reasons. Talking to some other people that are thinking about getting out. I'd say first is golden handcuffs, right? We've got that security. We've got that nine to five, that 70, that hundred, that $120,000 a year job. And and that steady paycheck's great. And that's quote security, which is not really secure at all as I had the rug ripped out from under me as you did as well. And uh, I know multiple other people that have, I, I think that's, they're, they're afraid of what ifs, right? What if I do this and I can't go back to the corporate world like I'm in right now? What if I fail? People are, people are terrified of failure. People are terrified of failure and failure is, is just learning faster, right? I mean, if you fail on something small, so what, right? If you, if you fail on your $10,000 company, start another one, right? I mean, it, it, failure happens and that's how you learn. You know, you fall when you're a kid, riding a bike, learning to walk. But once you get back up, you know how to do it better the next time. And when you're a kid, you have the goal of walking. And when you fall, you don't be like, oh man, I fell. Walking's not for me, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's not, I shouldn't be doing that. No, you, you, you're determined. It's, it's, it's almost it's not even a question, and that's that's exactly how we should be looking at this is in our goals. Uh, Colin, this has been absolutely amazing. If listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, if they want to reach out to you, ask you a question, to learn about some of your services, where can they find your information? Property management website, www.atlas.rentals. However, that won't get you a hold of me. I have a design where I'm not getting, getting contacted too much by, by tenants. Um, but that's you. That's our property management website. You can look me up on LinkedIn if you want to get me directly. Uh, just call on Douthit on LinkedIn. 
Love it, love it, love it. And the links to both of those will be in the show notes of this episode. Colin, thank you so much for adding value to the listeners. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Likewise, thank you.